The book starts, there was a time before you were ours. We did not know you yet, but God did. He saw you before anyone else knew you were there. Inside your birth mother, he formed you, every single part. He created you his very own masterpiece. He caused your heart to beat and your body to grow. He was with you and protected your developing life. You were wonderfully made. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's Executive Outreach Manager. We are excited you are joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Jody Matting of Edward Jones. Jody Matting believes that making a positive impact to improve the lives of his clients will better our communities and society. You can find Jody Matting on edwardjones.com. We are grateful to Jody Matting at Edward Jones for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guest today is Amara Bratcher. Mari, she lives in Odessa, Texas and serves her church, Mission Dorado Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas, in a multitude of capacities, but chiefly working with youth and children. Mari is serving as a trustee for TBHC. Thank you. And she volunteers as a court-appointed special advocate, better known as CASA. I invited her today to come and share her family story and talk about the book she wrote, The Bridge That Love Built. Her family has a heritage of adoption. Her parents adopted, and now several other siblings have fostered and adopted. Her story is one of tracing God's hand of redemption in the missing pieces of our story. She joins our podcast today because she wants to help people with hard adoption stories be able to tell their story with dignity and meaning. Mari, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here, Jason. Well, it, it means a whole bunch, so thank you. Uh, let me ask you about your family. We talked earlier, and uh, you got a, a very small family. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, you said nine kids, uh, ages 16 to 40, and uh, you're one of the oldest siblings. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family and the dynamic, maybe what a holiday is like with y'all. Oh, my goodness. So um, Thanksgiving just passed. And with my siblings and cousins and aunts and uncles, there was a cozy 40 of us uh, <laughs> gathered. Um, we had to move the celebration to the church fellowship hall. And uh, it's hard to explain that all of these people are really related to me quite closely. Um, growing up, though, second of nine, it was crazy fun. It was always loud. Um, like, like you mentioned, my parents have been, they are currently still raising kids and they started 40 years ago. So, uh, the baby of the family is 16. And when we all get together, there's for sure no silence. Um, and if you, you know, you gotta, you gotta wait in line to use the restroom because there's only two and there were seven of us girls growing up. And so the boys, the boys really learned how to uh, make do and, you know, share, share the facilities with all of us. Yeah. There's probably a lot of stories just in that, you know, all the things you just shared. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I only had two sisters and I was the only boy and the bathroom was always a commodity. 
uh, very special in our house. Absolutely, monopolized by all of the hair that has to be done and the makeup. And yes. my brothers would tell you they're victims, but we don't we don't agree with that narrative at all. Yeah, I, I completely understand. No sense in believing them boys anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I'm excited to hear your story. And why don't you go ahead and get into it? Thank you for taking time to do this. Uh, share your bringing kids home story. Absolutely. So adoption um, really intersected my life uh, much later than most people uh, who are a part of, of the ministry and the work of TBHC. Um, I was in my late 20s when my parents adopted. Um, Megan came home in 2013. And so as an adult sibling, uh, going through that process, it was exciting. Uh, we could not believe that we got a seven-year-old sister. Um, and when Megan entered our family, we all of a sudden kind of went through a crash course of learning a different vocabulary, like what happens when we all don't have the same story. We all don't have the same memories or traditions or even, um, appetites or, you know, cultural, like the things we like to eat, things became very different. And so, uh, we learned a lot, um, we're still learning, but one of the chief things that came out very quickly was missing memories. Um, when Megan came to us at seven, there were a lot of parts of her story that we just, we don't know and we will never know. And primarily we as, we as humans, we're all storytellers. We tell the story of who we are every single day. When we meet people, uh, where we come from, who our families are, what matters to us. And, um, and when you have come from uh, a different story and a lot of adoptions have this, it becomes very difficult to tell your own story because you don't know it and you never will. And that became a source of, uh, of deep grief uh, for us as her adoptive family to watch that struggle unfold and, and also for her and for others in my family who joined through adoption um, who shared that, that sense of loss. Uh, about missing pieces in their life. So journeying through that, I, I can tell you um, as an adoptive family member, uh, the wrestling you do with God, all of the what ifs and why, and if, if only we had been there, if only I could have been present here, I could have prevented this, protected her from that, all of those um, questions. And as I wrestled with those, one, one day I really felt like uh, God through his spirit just said to me, you know, you weren't there, but I was. And as a believer um, in, in Jesus Christ and as a, a follower, uh, knowing what his word says, that he will never leave us or forsake us, I had to go back to Megan and her life and realize that I may not have been there, we may not have been present, but there was never a moment of her life that was unseen or unknown by God. And that really became um, a huge turning point uh, for me. And I, I really went back to scripture. I said, okay, so all of these milestones that parents get to celebrate with, with newborns, how can we 
what, what do we have to give her? You know, uh, where's God here? And I really just began to sketch out those moments, what it would have been like for us to see her first steps or us to be there on the day she was born or us to see the first tooth or the first time she got on a bike. And I started to uh, search scripture and his word is certainly not silent about his presence and in the, in the lives of his children. And so I, I started to weave together his word and, and maybe the losses that we felt. And um, before I knew it, I had this, this rough draft that I really was very unclear what needed to happen with. Um, I knew it was for Megan, but I also had this, this very clear sense that there were others who shared that experience and who would resonate with that message. Um, and so most of the books that were out at that time um, had to do with either infant adoption or um, very clear cut. I, I needed more of a messy real life type story. And um, I figured, well, I guess I'm going to write it and I'm going to write it for Megan and who knows what's going to happen after that. So I took what I had, which was uh, this rough, rough draft of these thoughts and these verses and, and this back and forth. And I, I contacted my friend, Sally, who is herself an adoptive mom. And she's also a very gifted artist. And together with Sally, all throughout, uh, we began in 2015, 2016, we continued to work and develop and put her art and her visuals with my words. And um, we decided that this was indeed a book that we wanted to bring to a wider audience. Um, neither of us having really a, a huge network or connections uh, with which to do that, we launched a crowdfunding campaign in 2016. And uh, well before our 30-day limit, we had raised every single bit of the money that we needed from people all over the U.S., people we didn't even know, um, who connected with this idea of where is God in, mis in the missing pieces of our story. And so um, the book was fully funded in 2016, and then it came to print in 2017, and it, it exists now. It is the, it's called The Bridge That Love Built. And um, it's just that. It's, it's uh, tracing God's hand in all of the missing pieces of, of our story and seeing that even though uh, we weren't there, that God was. And so I tell, it, um, I tell it from the lens of an adoptive family, but I also really try to capture for the adoptee what it's like to hear God speak directly to their hearts um, in a lot of the questions that they might have about their early years. I, I love the book. I had a chance to read it to my kids and recorded it for them so they could listen to it while I was gone. It's one of the really sweet stories that I've got a chance to, to read. So it, it's right there with several of the books that we read about what really love does for a family and that's what makes us a family. It's not biology. It's the love. Absolutely. So it, it fits right into that. And, and the spiritual aspect of pointing to God's hand throughout the whole thing is, is really beautiful. And the artwork is, is quite lovely. Uh, you go through it. it yes. It's not a cartoon. It is. Um, I, I'll, I'll put words in, in what it, it's there, but it reminds me of watercolors. 
Okay, okay. Yes. so I'm not completely inept when it comes to art. <laughs> you, you are not. And we did really, um, we wanted to create a book that was beautiful because parents read books. So they're not just for kids. Um, and, and we have seen over and over and over again how uh, this book, it is really for the entire family. And so we wanted to create something that was visually interesting. And Sally did that through mixed media, um, but also lovely for, for parents. And, and there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of, uh, there's multi-layers to, to the illustrations that are in the book. So I'm incredibly proud of, of Sally and the work she did to really, um, just translate the heart of the words into something visually very uh, appealing. Well, Mari, uh, the book is, is just really great. So I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just reading a, a section that you think really kind of sparks the idea of the book, just something that speaks to you personally. I'd love to hear something from that if you're open to it. Absolutely. I would love to do that. I'm going to read... Um, Two, two passages kind of splice them together. The book starts, there was a time before you were ours. We did not know you yet, but God did. He saw you before anyone else knew you were there. Inside your birth mother, he formed you, every single part. He selected the color of your eyes and the shape of your nose. He molded your ears and sculpted your lips. He knitted your arms and legs together and chiseled every last finger and toe. He created you his very own masterpiece. He caused your heart to beat and your body to grow. He was with you and protected your developing life. You were wonderfully made. And then several pages later, there was a time before we were yours. You did not know us yet, but God did. He built our family one member at a time. When God designs families, he wants them to look like him. He wants them to show the world who he is and what he's like. Our family wasn't a complete picture of God's goodness yet. The one who knew us inside and out knew what was missing. It was you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, it reminds me a lot of what I always say about our kids. We didn't know our kids were missing until they showed up. Until they. That is so true. The inspiration to write this book is obviously Megan, and you know the journey that she went on and the journey you went on uh, to bring you to this place. Um, I, I love how you shared that earlier. What What is one of the things that you would say to siblings, adult siblings, or even siblings living in their living with someone who's adopted? What would you tell them, encourage them? The first thing that I would, I would encourage them to do is to realize um, God writes beautiful stories, but not all of them are alike. And there are parts of each one of our stories that are uniquely difficult, uniquely painful. And, um, I think we have to recognize that in order to have grace um, because as each one of our stories unfolds, we will struggle in different ways. We will grieve in different ways. We will wrestle in, in different ways. And so 
I would say to any sibling, um, understand that, that God is the author of our stories. We trust him with our stories, but none of our stories this side of heaven are perfect. And um, when we experience brokenness, it can wound us and it can leave us um, hurting in ways that, that are difficult to understand. So depending on the age set of the siblings, I would just, uh, I would just give that, I think, until you learn to, to see your sibling through the eyes of God and to understand um, the value of, of the story and also um, the sacredness of it. Um, it starts there. The other thing that I would just say to families in general is uh, as Christians, we talk a lot about trusting God with the future. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, those kind of things. I also find that that works kind of retroactively if we think about the past, that our faith um, can cover a past that we weren't there for, that our faith um, can be big enough to believe that there was a God there. And so I wasn't there, but he was. And so I'm going to trust him with a past that I, I fully don't even understand what it looked like, what it felt like to walk through that. Um, and those are challenging, very challenging moments to grapple with um, the things we wish we could rewrite in another story. Um, and as family members, I think uh, just grace, we need grace and that understanding of God's love, that God's love is unbreakable, unshakable, and poured out in our hearts. And as it holds us together as families, um, that becomes absolutely key when we process the, the nuances in, in each of our stories. That's amazing. Um, it reminds me of something uh, we were sitting at a small group and Bible study was about to happen and they asked an icebreaker question. And this is how I feel as an adoptive dad. The question was, uh, if you could go back in history and see anyone or at any, any point in someone's life, when would you go? And I was the first one asked this question and I just brought the room down <laughs> because I said, <laughs> I would go back and hold my son when he was born, because I don't know if anyone was in the room. I don't know how many days he spent in the hospital. I just want to go hug him and hold him. And it, it just, you know, that no one wanted to follow that, but it was, that's how I felt because I have no idea what Absolutely. one of my kids' lives was like until ours. Mm -hmm. and it, it was a great reminder. I also think Yes. And it's a great reminder that when we ask questions, um, we need to ask with uh, a lot of respect. Uh, there, are, there are questions that are just so basic, like, oh, who'd you look like when you were born? Or tell me, tell me about, you know, your, your earliest times. What were your favorite foods when you were little? Uh, when did you, when did you do this? Or, or um, you know, all of those moments that you don't realize how painful it is not to be able to answer them until you watch someone you love not be able to answer them. And like I said about the storytelling aspect, it's like, um, it's a hit on a person's dignity not to be able to tell their own story. Um, 
And I think the sensitivity to realize, like when we approach questions, to not have a one size fits all. Um, you know, I teach students, I am very mindful that the families and the histories that they have are so different. So I, I never try to have a, a general question that is, it's got a very, you know, direct answer. I, I try to be mindful of the differences. And I, I do believe that's, that's a huge part of it is being sensitive to, to areas where, where stories are going to unfold differently and to give people their own privacy and uh, their own dignity to be able to, to share their personal story at their, uh, you know, at their level, at their discretion. Yeah, our rule in our home is it's not my story. It's theirs, you know, and as they get older and they want to tell more about it, they can. Well, let me go back mm -hmm. to brokenness. You, you were talking about brokenness and I'd love for you to elaborate on this, this idea, because a lot of people think that it's other people who are broken. And the irony of everything in the scriptures says, well, all these whole people that go to church they're just better looking broken people, maybe. I have a lot of wake-up calls mm -hmm. in my own life uh, of discovering I was broken. And it's kind of a weird way to put it. Kind, mm -hmm. kind of speak into that. What The discovery of being broken and watching those around you. Oh, my goodness. I think in a lot of ways, um, there's something so naive, um, blissfully naive to think the world is broken, but I, I am whole. Um, I can't remember a time when I didn't feel broken, but I will tell you, um, being real and being vulnerable about struggle and sin and all of that, that will bring your brokenness to the surface so, so quickly. When you want to live an authentic life, loving Jesus and serving him, that's when all of that stuff is going to come to the surface so quickly. Um, I, I do think you're right. When, when uh, the world looks at the church, a lot of times they, they don't, they don't see us as uh, they see us as really dressed up, broken people. But I think we like the the illusion that we really have it together. We have all the answers. We have um, the secret ingredient, and we and we have Jesus, which is huge. But we still live. Uh, we are broken people in a broken world, and the world will continue to be broken as long as we're in it. Um, and, and so, living in a family that will bring out brokenness, you know, um, as, as we live life together and as tempers flare and as trauma and as conflict and our own personal agendas emerge, there will absolutely be this brokenness. But I'll tell you, even in working through, um, when I wrote this, I really thought I'm writing this for Megan. This is a book for her. And I felt over and over again, just the Lord speak to me, I want you to know I was there for you too. Um, you know, I was there when you felt un, unseen, when you felt unheard. And I, my story is quite different than an, an adoptee, but I'm telling you God's word really uncovered brokenness in me in saying, 
um, you know, all of those moments that you thought no one really knew how much you were hurting or in those moments when, when you didn't understand this, I, I was there for you too. And it, it ended up, God's word just came and it was like, a, it was, it was so sweet to receive it and to know that um, his presence was just as real to me. Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, Donor Engagement Manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parents' training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. Because as we all engage to tell stories or uh, to encourage other people, the words we use and the things we say either convict or encourage us too. It's really beautiful. Absolutely. Let me ask you a little bit about, I'll ask you about where people can get the book and then I'll ask you about being a trustee. So obviously I get this book on Amazon. Yes. So Amazon is the easiest, fastest way to get it. Um, you can log on. It's available digitally. So if you are, um, you know, you have a Kindle, you can find it there. Um, but yes, Amazon, find it and it should be able to be at your house, you know, within two days if you prime it. There you go. That's awesome. Let's see, trustee. You have been a trustee for a very short period of time. Uh, we'll leave off how long because when this airs, we don't know. Uh, being a trustee for TBHC is very, very special. And I want to thank you very much for serving all the kids in our care. Why exactly are you a trustee for this organization? It is a, a huge honor um, to be a trustee for TBHC. And I love the mission, bringing kids home. Um, since adoption first entered my, my world, uh, when Megan came home, I have been all about it because I have seen firsthand um, the difference that a home and a family makes in the lives of kids who are hurting. And so um, when I became a CASA, I entered kind of the, the inner circle of uh, the courtroom and the legal dramas that unfold where um, kids are removed from their homes and uh, sometimes are reunited with their parents, sometimes uh, become part of a legal system for a very long time uh, as they wait for forever homes. But I became incredibly passionate about speaking for those who could not speak for themselves. And so um, as a CASA, that's what I do uh, in a legal arena. And I love the heart and the mission of TBHC and anything I can do to support it, um, especially out here in West Texas where TBHC is just launching. I, I am all for it and I can't wait to see what God does um, through this ministry out here in my corner of the world. That's awesome. Well, it's been great having you on board, making a difference in that regard. 
And thanks for representing us out here in your neck of the woods. Absolutely. Well, on as far as like CASA, I, I want to just take one, one more kind of moment with that. Um, a lot of our foster families through the years have had good experiences with CASA. Sometimes they've been negative experiences with CASA. I, I think it always has to do with the character and the uh, competence of the individual for sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, kind of myth bust a few things for us for CASA. There's, uh, there's so much misunderstanding about the role and uh, foster parents, confusion, all that kind of stuff. Would you mind speaking into that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, a CASA is a volunteer position. So right off the bat, um, we're very different from a lot of the other people who are involved in a court case. Um, attorneys, caseworkers, therapists, we're the only people that don't get paid to be there. And so I do think um, you're right you can have a great experience with a CASA because most of the CASAs I know, they're doing it because they are passionate about advocating for kids in hard places. Um, I, I also, before I continue to MythBust, I wanna put in a plug for anyone who wants to advocate for kids in hard places to please consider becoming a CASA. It's a tremendous um, opportunity to, to give legal um, testimony and to go on record uh, for the best interest of the child. That's what a CASA does. We advocate for the best interest of a child. Um, we have access to every shred of legal documentation, um, whether it be school or medical, therapeutic. We have access to the home of the child, to the caseworkers' reports. Um, it's truly a behind the scenes um, advocate for the child. And um, so I, I would encourage people out there to try to build relationships with their CASA if they have one. If they don't have one, to, to ask for one. Uh, CASAs in my district are appointed by the judge. We have a, a tremendous shortage of them, but there are special cases where um, CPS may request to have a CASA because the case is so complicated. Um, or because they need another set of eyes, um, eyes and ears. So uh, what I do when I go into a case is I try to build relationships first with the kids, then with their placement. Um, I work alongside CPS, but I am very independent from CPS as well. So uh, it's a tremendous responsibility. It's also very taxing. Um, and so uh, foster parents, they know what it's like to feel like your voice isn't heard, um, talk to your CASA. Um, that's, that's all I can say because a, a really great CASA is gonna take into account every voice and then ultimate goal is to speak out for what is in the child's best interest. Absolutely. Uh, we had great CASA workers when we were fostering and it, we had nothing but good experiences, but I know that sometimes there's questions on that, but yes, what is something you would like everyone to know about adoption or foster care for you? It has enriched. It's like putting on a set of glasses and seeing colors that you did not know existed. It's a, it's a different dimension. And I don't know if that sounds really crazy or, or not, but um, I have understood the love of God and the meaning of family in ways that I, I never have. And I, I have an amazing family. So I, 
I knew love and I knew family before adoption entered it, but it is truly a different it's a different dimension of, of that. Um, and it just, it may be too, uh, the work that God has done in, in just giving us grace to walk in hard places, um, alongside those we love and understanding the depth of that. But I, adoption is truly, it's a, it's another, it's learning another language and the language is, is the language of love and, and grace. And, and, um, so that's what I would say. Well, that's awesome. Well, Mari, thank you so much for joining us today. I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving people uh, how you'd like to be reached if they have questions about the book or want to interact with you over that. Sure. We love to connect with people who find the book and um, who have found the message resonating with them. So we are on all of the social media platforms. On Instagram, it is at The Bridge That Love Built. Uh, Facebook, The Bridge That Love Built, and then Twitter at Bridge Love Built. So any of those platforms will take you directly to both myself and Sally. Perfect. Well, you heard her. Go to those two social media outlets and reach out to them. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Jason. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.